Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. My guest is Jeffrey Sterling. He is a former CIA officer who was imprisoned under the Espionage Act, accused of leaking classified information, an allegation he denies. And he wrote about his experience in the memoir called Unwanted Spy, The Persecution of an American Whistleblower. Jeffrey Sterling, welcome to Pushback. Thank you very much for having me on. So it's interesting when you are referred to as a whistleblower because by your own telling, you are not a whistleblower for what the government accused you of. Uh, you had an actual initial case uh, against the CIA uh, that came well before you were indicted by the U.S. government. So let's start there. Uh, you served as a CIA officer, and at a certain point, you brought a complaint against the agency. Uh, tell us that story. Well, um, the complaint that I brought uh, against the agency was for racial discrimination. Um, when I joined the agency, I, of course, was given the promises of acceptance and equality and equal opportunity. Uh, that did not turn out to be the case. Uh, years into my career uh, at the CIA, um, it became apparent that be only because of the color of my skin, I was being denied opportunities. Uh, my supervisors even had the compunction, you know, no um, standoffishness about it at all to tell me flat to my face that I kind of stood out as a black guy speaking Farsi, which made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, I had proven myself time and time again at the agency and my ability to go to places in the world and to operate in areas where other officers had not been able to. Uh, my response to that statement from them was that you know, when did they realize I was black and why to them did it all of a sudden make a difference, you know, particularly as I'm trying to move up in my career. I did uh, sue the agency for racial discrimination. Uh, I also took those complaints to both the, well, the House Intelligence Committee, as I was permitted to do. Um, I did uh, bring federal suit. Uh, that suit was dismissed uh, by the courts who determined that my bringing my discrimination suit uh, into a public court would uh, pose a danger to the national security of the United States. Uh, so in a sense, I was a whistleblower about the discrimination going on at the CIA, and I was prevented from going forward with that because so, um, and I still am taken aback by the notion that an African-American fighting for his civil rights uh, is a threat to the national security of this country. So in that instance, as a whistleblower, I was uh, quashed, if you will. And this is where, you know, you mentioned the fact that you spoke Farsi because you specialized in Iran. And this is where that becomes especially relevant because after your discrimination suit is dismissed, your experience with Iran comes back to haunt you. Uh, what did the agency uh, do to you after your lawsuit failed? After my lawsuit failed and, and during the intermeaning, uh, intermeaning time, there was an operation I was involved in targeting Iranian nuclear weapons. Uh, it was called Operation Merlin. And through the operation, the goal was to hamper the Iranian nuclear effort, uh, to slow their ability down to uh, gain a nuclear weapon. Uh, and, and I was involved in this operation, which was uh, designed to have flawed 
plans to a key component of a nuclear weapon instilled into the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, my role in this was to train the intermediary um, who would present himself to the Iranians uh, with the plans. Uh, I was given all sorts of assurances uh, that it was um, approved by the highest levels of government all the way up to the president and that there were safeguards built in. Uh, the main safeguard was that there was a flaw in the plans that no one would be able to detect, even a scientist. And the purpose then would be get those plans into the Iranian nuclear program. They would use them. Uh, the bomb would not work and it would thereby slow or hamper uh, their, their development and, and goal for a nuclear weapon. Uh, so I went into this very enthusiastic because I thought it was a, a great operation and I was proud to be a part of it. Uh, but in the, as we went further with the operation and preparing to the operation, uh, those assurances that I was given about the safety of the operation turned out to be false. Uh, the moment that the intermediary first saw the plans that he was to then hand over to the Iranians, he immediately noticed that there was a flaw. Uh, this individual was a Russian scientist. He was a Russian nuclear scientist. And I was assured that even he would not be able to detect uh, the flaw in the plans. Uh, from the very first moment that he laid eyes on the plans, he immediately said, this won't work. Um, so that just threw out the window all of the assurances I was given. Just, uh, a, just, a, just, just a side question here, just very quickly. What do you think accounts for that misplaced confidence on the part of your superiors at the CIA, that there's no way that anybody could detect this flaw? Well, they were working with the net, one of the national labs. Um, there is an, a bit of an arrogance, of course, with the CIA that uh, everything done there and done by the CIA is right and can do no wrong. Um, and I think there is also the feeling that, well, we're smarter than the Iranians, so there's no way that they're going to figure this out until too late. Um, so and I think that arrogance uh, created a dangerous situation um, with this intermediary being able to immediately see the flaw, then my thought was, well, the Iranians will immediately see the flaw as well. And what do scientists do? They fix problems. Uh, so instead of hampering their nuclear program, this uh, Operation Merlin would instead probably have sped it up. Um, and we may have seen the, the Iranians with a nuclear weapon far, far before anyone would have thought. And this becomes a huge liability for not just the CIA, but the administration, the Bush administration, right, that approved this. Because if this gets out publicly, then this uh, would be uh, a case of them helping Iran, if that's what Iran wanted to do, which is a separate question, yeah. achieve a nuclear weapon. Absolutely. Yes. And I started, uh, even at the meeting, I uh, brought that point up to my supervisor about uh, the individual noticing the flaw, I was promptly told to shut up. I went to other avenues within the agency to bring this concern up, um, and the response was pretty much silence. Um, and it was also at that time I was removed from the program, and the discrimination that I had been facing at the agency uh, became intensified. Uh, I was removed from, I was at that time uh, stationed in New York. I was removed from there. Um, and I also took the opportunity 
uh, to go to the Senate Intelligence Committee to let them know about this operation because during this time, uh, we had gone into Iraq. And I thought that our policymakers should know that there was a potential danger here. Uh, there was uh, ample talk of dirty bombs during that period of time. If the Iranians had received these plans or if they had been given to the Iraqis, there was a possibility that our troops could have been walking into a situation of uh, being destroyed by uh, a dirty bomb or a functional nuclear weapon. Uh, I thought that was something that I had to go forward with. I did go to the Senate Intelligence Committee. And shortly after that, um, I was being investigated as uh, for an unauthorized leak about uh, Operation Merlin. But yet, during this period, you leave government and you move away. And were you not under the impression that this leak investigation had had died down? Oh, absolutely. Um, I leaving government is a uh, polite way to say it, but I was uh, fired from the agency. Uh, they said in subordination, and this was during the time I was uh, fighting the I, when I filed my discrimination suit. Uh, and yes, I, I time was passing. Um, I this was in uh, early two thousand two. Uh, by 2003, I had lost everything. I was essentially blackballed in the intelligence community. I, I was an experienced CIA officer, and I spoke Farsi. I had experience in uh, anti-terrorism operations and certainly anti-proliferation uh, operations, yet I couldn't find a job with anyone. Um, I lost everything, um, and life just took me in different directions. Um, and years pass and I start my life over again. I have a new career. And then um, in 2005, I believe the FBI show up at my door. Um, and it just felt like, you know, things were finally over. I got my life back on track. And uh, I don't think anyone can uh, see anything positive of the FBI showing up on your doorstep. And you end up being indicted for uh, allegedly leaking uh, information about this Operation Merlin to James Risen of the New York Times. Yes. When it goes to trial, the government has no direct evidence at all. All they have is evidence that you spoke to Risen um, uh, at a certain point. Uh, and they also um, have the fact that you complained officially, which is what you're supposed to do, to the Senate Intelligence Committee. So yes. what... What case did they make? Uh, the, that I was a disgruntled employee. Uh, I, I think one thing that is uh, crucial to point out through all of this, um, you know, the FBI re invigorated their investigation into me uh, when they showed up at my door. I wasn't indicted till about five years later. Uh, so all this time I'm trying to uh, just still live my life uh, and all that. And then we finally get to, to trial, which didn't happen until 2015. So I had the sword of Damocles hanging over me for quite a long time. And during the trial, it was, it was just a CIA show trial. Uh, the only thing that was proven beyond a reasonable doubt was that I was black. I certainly didn't look like anyone else um, put forward by the CIA. Um, and I was just painted as this disgruntled employee who lost, uh, wrongfully, I will say. They pointed out time and time again that I was angry because I lost my discrimination suit. 
which was you know, the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, the truth was that you know, I wasn't allowed to go forward with my suit. Um, the, the, the prosecutor certainly didn't want the jury to know that during this time that I supposedly leaked this information to James Risen, I was still fighting my discrimination suit against the agency. And James and James Risen was. He just painted me as a. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, all they could do was paint me as a disgruntled employee. I didn't look like anyone else from the CIA. Um, I was obviously angry, and um, without having any proof of anything, uh, which they certainly did not present, all they could do was paint me as a bad guy. And and when you were speaking to James Risen, uh, according to your account, you were speaking to him about the that very contemporaneous ordeal you were going through of waging this discrimination case, right? Absolutely. Uh, during the time that I filed the discrimination suit, uh, James Risen wrote an article uh, for the New York Times uh, about that. Uh, during the trial, the government admitted that there was no classified information uh, divulged uh, in that article. Uh, yet, I somehow then, I guess, lost my mind to the government uh, through my being disgruntled and then leaked classified information to him. All they presented during the trial with regard to contact was uh, phone calls uh, with a duration of maybe 90 seconds, I believe. Uh, no conversations, just that there is a connection. Um, and so, again, based on no evidence and just conjecture. Uh, no passing of any no passing of any material whatsoever. The very thing you're accused of. Um, Absolutely not. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say I, I'm a lawyer, and you know, I know you, know, you have to. Uh, the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Not only did they not present any evidence, they didn't present or even try to present any evidence showing when, where, or how I passed this information to Mr. Risen. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was an incredible uh, experience and uh, weird. I, I think it's the, the best word that I can come up with it. I've had experience certainly with the law, but this uh, that trial was uh, beyond what I certainly learned in law school. And meanwhile, there were other suspects, uh, I believe, uh, who were never really looked into, including a congressional staffer who was suspected of actually making the leak to Ryzen, but that that avenue was not pursued. No, not at all. No one was investigated uh, except me. I was the sole target um, through the trial. You could understand that there was the moment I started complaining about uh, discrimination at the agency, Operation Sterling, if you will, uh, the, the mechanisms of that began. And even though there was uh, it was disclosed at trial that Hunter had access and even access beyond what I had to this operation, yet the focus remained on me. Um, and it was incredible. And again, as you said, they, one of the staffers that I talked to at the Senate Intelligence Committee, after my meeting with them, subsequently had been fired from the Senate Intelligence Committee for leaking classified information. Hmm. And by the way, also that leak was to Jim, uh, James Risen. So, but none of that made any difference to the prosecutors, the judge, or the jury. Um, to them, I was just um, that disgruntled black face that didn't fit within the CIA, and of course he was guilty.
So from the perspective of looking at why the government would seek to go after you, we have multiple plausible reasons to uh, speculate about. There's the fact that you were alleging discrimination uh, as a CIA uh, official. Also the fact that you were exposing, as we talked about, hubris and arrogance uh, on the part of a major uh, clandestine program that threatened uh, to uh, deliver Iran with the blueprint to, to make a nuclear weapon, which would be not just dangerous, but incredibly embarrassing for the Bush administration. But you, you were also prosecuted under the Obama administration. This is Obama's Justice Department that went after you. Why do you think they took up this case? Yeah, what was inc incredible about that is that the Bush administration had dropped the investigation. Uh, to them, there was no evidence and the FBI investigators admitted that it would have made no sense for me to do something like leaking classified information because my discrimination suit was still going on. Um, but when the Obama administration came along, they reopened the investigation. There was no new evidence, uh, nothing at all. I, I think to that administration, I proved to be an easy target. Um, that and would be a feather in the cap uh, for Obama and uh, the Attorney General Eric Holder uh, to show how they go after uh, whistleblowers or leakers. Um, and I think it was also easy to have me on the stand with their assurances that it would work out okay because you know I didn't fit the mold of the upstanding black citizen uh, as Obama and Eric Holder did. So even though. Mr. Obama came to be president on, on the basis of, you know, yes, we can and all together in a so-called post-racial America. Uh, that is exactly what he used and his administration used against me uh, to convict me of a crime I did not commit. I've heard you say that that kind of very cynical dynamic of uh, pandering to uh, racial resentment and going after you is why they all, and, and, and to quote unquote respectability politics, is why they also called in Condoleezza Rice, the uh, former Secretary of State under George W. Bush, how, why they brought her in to testify against you, is to, to, to sort of provide a contrast. Yeah, absolutely. She did not add anything uh, to the evidence. She was witness to nothing. Uh, she vaguely knew about the program, um, yet she was brought on, I, I believe, just as a showpiece. Uh, to show a good upstanding. She was the only other uh, black individual uh, brought to the stand, uh, called as a witness by the government. Um, and that was the one time during the trial that the gallery was full of uh, onlookers uh, to see this former high-ranking government official uh, testifying in a trial. Uh, she added nothing other than the appearance of, here's an upstanding black citizen uh, to be contrasted you know, against me uh, the disgruntled, uh, ungrateful uh, black citizen. Do you agree with the notion that our fidelity to whistleblowers is temperamental and not consistent? I'm thinking specifically of during the impeachment trial, when this whistleblower uh, who uh, sparked the, the investigation of Trump allegedly uh, trying to uh, bully Ukraine into launching an investigation, that that whistleblower was venerated. And we heard often from Washington, from uh, top-ranking 
uh, intelligence officials and Democrats especially that we all uh, worship whistleblowers and they are um, they are beyond reproach reproach and we need we need to protect them. Do you feel as if there have been is if that veneration is if that standard has been inconsistently applied when comparing that case to yours or to Chelsea Manning's? I don't think there has ever been any sort of consistency with regard to whistleblowers, uh, especially with regard to any protections. Um, what I like to say is that I was so glad that whistleblowers and whistleblowing was brought to the fore um, because of the, the infamous uh, Ukraine phone call whistleblower. Uh, yet I also, there were so many familiarities to me about, for me about that as well. When the individual made the complaint uh, about the actions of the president, um, that information was immediately turned over to the White House and the Attorney General, the very subjects of the complaint. When I went to the Senate Intelligence Committee, little did I, I did not know at that time that the individual staffers that I was speaking to had either a previous or a current relationship with the CIA. And through the trial, it became clear that the moment I left that office, uh, they went directly to the CIA. Um, so I, I think our whistleblowing, our system, there are really no protection for whistleblowers, especially on the government level. Um, and it was so disheartening to see so many government officials wanting to know the identity of the whistleblower. Um, and to me, and you know, from my experience and other the experience of other whistleblowers, that does nothing other than to put a target on that individual and open them up for reprisal and retaliation. Uh, so whistleblowers in a sense of, if they're, don if they're uh, considered a whistleblower by government officials, um, and that they've done it in an, in, in an inappropriate way, uh, there will be no protections. Um, and now to use the Espionage Act to go after whistleblowers is a further indication that there is no protections and it is not a venerated uh, aspect of our government. Um, and you can also see the way other high-ranking individuals who clearly break laws uh, are treated. Um, during my situation, what was happening during my ordeal, uh, General Petraeus uh, had been lying to the FBI. He had been divulging inappropriately classified information, yet he received little more than a slap on the wrist. While I was sitting in prison, uh, General Cartwright was pardoned by the Obama administration. So if you're high ranking or if you're liked by an administration, if you're you will be treated well if you're uh, viewed as um, being too outspoken or, or dangerous in the eyes of the government. You'll be donned as and tried as a whistleblower uh, with no protections. Um, they can say all they want about the protections offered whistleblowers. Uh, it will be nice to actually see that in practice. Well, in terms of someone who is also seen as dangerous and is also uh, being prosecuted under the Espionage Act, like you were. Uh, let's talk about Julian Assange. Your case was recently cited uh, by the uh, lawyers acting on the U.S. government's behalf in Assange's extradition case in London. Uh, they cited your sentence as a benchmark, and they called that reasonable. What is your reaction to that? I thought... Uh, <laughs> 
name dropping, uh, throwing my name out as a, and a good example, as a benchmark for what sort of sentence Mr. Assange would receive is reprehensible. Um, the Queen's Council, of course, being directed by U.S. government attorneys, were trying to appease concerns about the type of sentence Mr. Assange could receive. Uh, there's fear that would be hundreds of years. Um, and so they said, well, the I was sentenced to 42 months, and that's a benchmark for the type of sentence to be received. Uh, I thought that was quite disgusting uh, to use a travesty of a trial as a benchmark for what Mr. Assange is facing. Um, what he is facing, if, if the Queen's Council and the UK government really want to know what Mr. Assange is facing with regard to being prosecuted under the Espionage Act, they need look no further than my experience. Um, the government will not have to produce any uh, claims of harm or damage. The government can hide behind classifications to um, uh, disrupt the defense. Um, and in Mr. Assange's case, I don't think it'll be also the same court that I uh, was tried under. And this is the same circuit, the Fourth Circuit in Virginia, that decided that I could not go forward with my discrimination case. Uh, they felt I didn't have an, uh, any viable uh, civil rights. So I would imagine that uh, Mr. Assange will face an even harsh, uh, an even harsher uh, sort of circumstances if he is extradited. We're gonna wrap and I want to ask you, just for, just for your closing thoughts, if you could share for people, if you have any words of advice or reflections on the, for people who are thinking about doing what they perceive as the right thing, uh, but weighing the fact that that would carry adverse consequences for them. What, what have you learned from your own experience about going through that? For me, it was that I knew I could not face myself in the mirror. One, if I didn't do something in a situation that I felt I had a duty to do in going forward to the Senate Intelligence Committee with my concerns. And also, I couldn't look at myself ever again, knowing that I pled guilty to something that I did not do. Uh, I, I think it, 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 if you have it within you um, to take the necessary steps, to uh, disclose wrongdoing, uh, then I think you should go forward with it. I may not be the, the best example, uh, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. And from my standpoint, our government becomes better when there are individuals who, not, who will not stand for the status quo, who will take the proper steps to bring forward wrongdoing or malfeasance within government. I think that makes government stronger. And the government is certainly using the Espionage Act as a hammer to uh, dissuade anyone from coming forward. But in the end, we do have to come forward. And yes, there is tremendous risk, but I think it's even riskier if people do not come forward. I mean, our government is supposed to be there for us and it is supposed to be accountable. Um, whistleblowers make government accountable. And I, I think if we can, stay true to ourselves and still believe in our government and how it can be better, uh, then hopefully people will continue um, being whistleblowers or even just questioning things.
and not accepting the status quo. Jeffrey Sterling, former CIA officer and author of Unwanted Spy, The Persecution of an American Whistleblower. Jeffrey, thanks a lot. A lot. Thank you very much for having me on.